Our second reading is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and there be no divisions among you, but you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I, mind is, what I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize the household of Stephanias. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but proclaim the gospel, and not the eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. We have just under a year to go until the 2016 presidential election. Yeah, I, I feel the groans. It's a, it's a year and a half, or a month and a half, two months to the first caucuses, to the first primaries, and things are already heating up, and it's in the news every day. And the recent news has been about presidential candidate Ben Carson. And some things that he has said in the past have come to be questioned, have come to be doubted. There's a story he tells about a class that he went to in college where the professor was late and sent everyone left except him and is actually a test and he was given an award and the only person to get an A for it. There's questions about whether he got a scholarship to West Point offered a scholarship to West Point or not. But the biggest questions have been about his childhood growing up. He grew up in Detroit and he said that he was kind of a rough child. There's a story about him trying to stab a classmate with a knife, but the knife hit the belt buckle and bent. There's stories about him going after family members with rocks. He has, of course, come and denied that these statements are false. And I'm not here to cast judgment on whether these statements are true or not, but what I find most interesting is the the stories that he defends the most vigorously are the ones about him being having a rough childhood, about him being a violent child, a child who wants to hurt others, who is almost criminal. You would think that a man running for president, wanting to lead our country, would want to have a Boy Scout background. But of all his backgrounds, this is what he, are all these stories that are questioned, this is what he defends. 
The story is about him trying to stab another child or attack a child with a rock. The question is why? Why does he choose these stories to defend more than the others? And I think it comes down to something that we as Christians subconsciously believe. You see, we as Christians love a good conversion story. We love to see someone go from bad to come to Christ. We love to see someone be a druggie, a criminal, a prostitute, a junkie, or some other, quote, sinner, and turn their lives around and come to Christ. And I think that's why so many people hold on to Ben Carson's troubled childhood, because it shows a radical transformation into the neurosurgeon and the man that he is today. I think that's why we love the story of the prodigal son so much. It's a parable that Jesus tells about a man who had two children. And one of the child asks for inheritance and he goes to a far off land and he spends his money partying and living it up and having a great time until he falls on hard times. And eventually he has to come slinking back home. And there he comes into his father's good graces. And we love that story. We love hearing about the young man that goes off and has a great time partying and living in sin, but then returns to his father's home and returns to his father's graces. And it's interesting that we love that story so much because if we're honest, most of us are the older brother. Most of us are the older brother who's standing off in the field, who's listening to the father's every word who's being faithful and obedient. Most of us grew up in Christian households and have remained Christians. Most of us grew up going to church and have remained faithful churchgoers. Most of us have stayed the same and haven't experienced that radical transformation that we so love. I grew up outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and many of my friends went to a church called Cornerstone Church. And it's a, almost a mega church on the outskirts of Tennessee, and it's led by a man named Maury Davis. And what's interesting about Maury is that he is one of these transformation stories. That 25 years ago, he went to prison for one of the most heinous murders in Texas history. And there he found Christ, and there he came out and went into the ministry, and now leads this giant, prosperous church. And much of this church is built on the story of his redemption. The story how he went to mur from murderer to minister. Because we love a conversion story. We love to see the people go from good to bad. We lift them up. We almost think of them as better Christians, as ideal Christians. One of the raising rock stars in the Protestant world, so to say, is a woman named Nadia Bowles Weber. She's a Lutheran pastor of a small church in Denver called the House for All Sinners and All Saints. And my friend Brett recently met her at a conference. 
And he said, she's about as tall as me and about as pretty as me. (laughs) And she is covered with tattoos. And she has a dark history of being an alcoholic, being a drug addict. She was a stand-up comedian. She moved from home to home. She was just a, a vagabond, for lack of a better word. But then she turned her life around and she came to Christ. And this has made her one of the most popular speakers in the Protestant world right now. You can't go to a conference that's an A-list conference without seeing her name listed. There's only one problem with the idea of the great conversion story and of them being lifted up as better Christians. Is that it's not true. There's no basis for it. And this has been around for thousands of years. Our reading today from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he's addressing this very issue. The church in Corinth kept fracturing for many different reasons. And one of the reasons he addressed is because they fractured according to who thought they were the better Christian based on who baptized them or who converted them. He said, some of you say, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. He said, you're all the same. Christ is not fractured. Paul did not die for your sins. You all belong to Christ. You're all equal. There are no better Christians. When we begin to follow Christ... We are made something new. Paul later writes that in Christ you are a new creation. There is no male or female. There is no free or slave. There is no Jew or Greek. You are a new creation. And we're all made new. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the final day of the liturgical year. Next week begins Advent, the beginning of the next year. And on Christ the King Sunday, we affirm that Christ is King. And in affirming that, we affirm that we worship a King that doesn't care where we came from. Doesn't care what our history is. But instead loves us all equally. And transforms us all into something new. Something better than we were before. It doesn't matter if we were hardened criminals growing up in Detroit, if we stabbed a boy in the belt buckle, if we were a druggie and a stand-up comedian in Denver, or we were a middle-aged person from Columbia, Maryland. I meant to say middle class, not middle-aged. But either way, (laughs) Jesus doesn't care. Because in Christ, we're a new creation. We worship a king that doesn't care who we were, but cares who we are now and today. Now, I'm not saying that great conversion stories aren't wonderful, because they can be incredible testimonies to God and Christ's transformative power. And I'm not saying that there aren't any great transformation, any great conversion stories. Instead, I'm saying that they are all great conversion stories. I have a great conversion story. You have a great conversion story. All of us have a great conversion story. 
All of us, when we decided to follow Christ, went from one thing to something new and completely different, a new creation where the slate has been washed clean. And that's an incredible conversion. An incredible transformation. It's a transformation we sing about time and again when we sing Amazing Grace or a thousand other hymns. That Christ has wiped us clean. So it's not that there are no great conversions, but they are all great conversions. So if you're hungering for evidence of a great transformation, don't look to Nadia Bowles-Weber. Don't look to Ben Carson. Look to yourself. And start to live your life in a way that speaks to great transformation. Start to live your way in a life that people sit back and say that there is something different about you. Start to live your life in a way that gives glory to God in a way that the world cannot deny. Start to live your life so that you are the transformation that people look for. Amen.